thank you guys so much for tuning in. This is episode number 41 of Coaching Connections. Now on today's episode, I had a chance to sit and talk to Coach Mike Bellato of Arkansas State University. He is the head men's basketball coach there. He is one of four Latino head men's basketball coaches in the NCAA at the Division I level. And we had an outstanding conversation. I couldn't be more grateful for his time. I hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as I did. This is episode number 41, Coach Bellato, Arkansas State University, Coaching Connections. Let's get after it. Marcus, what's up? Can you hear me? I can hear you, Coach. What's up, brother? Nothing much. How you doing, Coach? Good, man. You doing all right? That's good. Oh, my God, man. You have no idea. This It's been the most adver- adversarial year ever. You know what I mean? But, I mean, at least we can get going now. We got, we're got we going to play 27 games, so that was that was a good thing. Thank God. Yeah. They gave everybody back a year of eligibility. It just passed today. I, I heard. So anybody, anybody that plays this year will have to will be able to have the year back, so it's pretty good. That is pretty awesome for those guys. Yeah, no doubt, man. Well, first, let me just start by saying thank you uh, for taking time out of your day. I know it's busy. You're back, you're back at it. And uh, so I appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk about, you know, hoops, talk about life and everything else in between, Coach. Yeah, no, anytime, man. I think it's always great to be able to, you know, tell my story a little bit and anything I can do to help, you know, the younger coaches moving up in the profession. Um, I know it gets frustrating sometimes when they want to get to where they want to get to and it, they don't see it yet, but you know, it's a process and it's a process for all of us. You know what I mean? And I just want to encourage those people to continue to, to do that. So anything they can do to help, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to do it. Well, absolutely coach. We appreciate it. So, so we go from about March till about, um, you know, school starts back up in August, September. And uh, we have a lot of time, depending on where you live, a lot of people are stuck in some sort of lockdown situation. Uh, what are some of the things that you you maybe learned about yourself during that time? That's a great question. So over here in Jonesboro, the great thing about our city, you know, we're a college town, so it's a little bit different than where I'm from in Miami, Florida, where there's a lot more population and you know a lot more dangerous um, or an opportunity for the virus to spread mm-hmm. further. You know, even though we did have some cases in the state of Arkansas and in Jonesboro, um, I, I thought it was a good move at first for safety reasons. You know, it's unfortunate, but businesses closing and the schools end up going online. I think it was just for safety because there was so much unknown going on mm-hmm. with the virus, you know. So I wanted to make sure that our guys knew that whatever process we were going through at that moment was all for their safety, you know. And, and it was, you know, they, 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 they're used to a routine, right? College athletes are so used to a routine. And when they get thrown from that routine, they all say they love to be off and love to be at home. You, but I can't tell you how many guys call me like or text me like two, three weeks into it, like, Coach, can we come back? You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I get it because they love to see their families. But a lot of these guys aren't in a great position um, back where they're from. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we have for them, they got a roof over their heads. They got electricity and water, you know. And I'm not saying all of them go through that, but some do. Yeah. Uh, they have, you know, as unlimited meals per day. They get to get in the gym and work out. They get to be around their friends. So it was tough for them. The thing I learned about myself was to continue to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a great time for me to sit through, I don't know how many Zoom clinics I sat through with other yeah. coaches and learn new things. You know, in the game of basketball, it's such an evolving game that yeah. if you think you have your your system set in place and you got the answer, trust me, you don't. You know, so it was <laughs> great to get opinions from other coaches. Um, 
even coaches in our league, you know, and coaches at the higher level, coaches at the lower level. I mean, I thought the coaches that I met with at, at the Division three and junior college were great. You know, I got picked a bunch of stuff from them too. So for me, it was about a learning uh, time, you know, not to waste it. We knew we couldn't be in the gym, but my players couldn't be really out working on their game as much as they wanted to, but I can work on mine. You know, I can't shoot jumpers anymore like I used to. I can't run around, but what I can do is, you know, try to knowledge, you know, gain as much knowledge as I could to help my team prepare better and be more ready and be more fluid when they were able to come back. So I think for me that it was great to kind of reflect and learn, you know, and, and, and open up things that I didn't, maybe I thought I couldn't teach or I thought I didn't agree with and they presented in a way I was like, wow, that's pretty good. You know, so it was a great learning experience for me. It was adversity, but at the same time, there's some good that comes out of that too. You know, so for, for me, it was a learning, it was a learning part, the knowledge part, the gaining knowledge that was great during that time. No, I, I love that you say that too. It, it, was, it was, I think it was the same for me and probably a lot of us were able to take some time, extra time that we maybe don't always get. We're so busy to sit and reflect and, uh, and reevaluate some things within the program and, and, and tighten up some things. And, and I have my former assistant is now a head coach. This is his first head coaching job. And uh, I said, well, no reason to not be prepared. Right. I mean, and, yeah. and, if you, and if you can get through this, this year with all the adverse situations, you'll be able to get through any year after that. So uh, no, no kind, kind of threw him in a fire. <laughs> yeah. And it was, you know, the other thing besides basketball, like one of the greatest things for us because of the time constraints and, you know, as a coach, how much time you spend away from your family, you know, mm -hmm. to be around my kids. I got twins, boy, girl, twins. Uh, they're 11 years old and, you know, they were away from sports too. So for me to be able to get with them and spend time with them, you know, and, and, and teach them. And we were out on the, you know, my front on my driveway playing and working on stuff, you know what I mean? So I got my, I got my fiction yeah. of, of teaching stuff. But it was good to spend time with my wife too, and 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 all that. That was the the one of the positives besides a lot the knowledge part of being able to spend time with them. Absolutely, coach. So college basketball is underway. You guys are, are getting after it in practice. Now, how does that feel to have some sort of uh, a sense of normalcy uh, back again in your lives? It's weird <laughs> to believe, believe it or not. Normalcy is weird. You know, you're you spent the last four months trying to adjust to things that you're not used to. Yeah. And then you get back to normal and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, this is what it's like. You know, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. I always say, like, the older coaches, the guys that I, I always grew up admiring, and we'll talk, you know, we'll talk about that later, but, you know, Coach Patino who's back in coaching now and uh, Coach Izzo and um, all those guys that are Division One coaches that started before this rule came in that you can practice in the summer. Yeah. Those guys have an advantage. They know what to do. You know, it used to be the old midnight madness. Like, this is the day we're starting. Yeah. We can only do this much for, you know, no more than, than four to a group and all that. And for us young coaches, it was a little different because we're used to putting stuff in in, Jan in July and June. And yeah. then, you know, slowly but surely kind of leading up to your game. And we had to adjust. So it was great for me to kind of like, okay – how did you do it? How did you cram yeah. everything in? I can't even remember how you can cram all this stuff in in a month's time. Um, even though we still had some time as a team, it wasn't as much as we had to in the past. So it was pretty good to, you know, lean on them a little bit and, and learn kind of what normal is now. You know, and yeah. normal is going to be normal like this for a long time. 
So I said I wouldn't shave until COVID's over. So I'm going to look like Forrest Gump. But, um, you know, it's just adjusting to that and learning new things and learning, trying to put stuff in a shorter window. I think it's yeah. made me a better coach. Um, it teaches you who can learn quickly on your team, which is great, you know, but it also hurts the guys who are talented who might take a little bit longer than other guys to learn, you know. Yeah. So they're, they're a little frustrated now because we're trying to do things at a rapid pace and I got to do a good job of making sure that they're good too. So yeah. it's been good, man. And the normalcy is, is, is weird. It really is. But I'm happy that we have some sort of direction and normalcy now. It was a lot of unknown a month ago. So I'm glad that we're able to know when we're going to start, what can we do moving forward so we can have a season. You know, and you say that um, making you a better coach, you're hundred percent right. I can feel it. Like you said, you have, you have guys within your team that learn at different rates and when you have all the time you normally have, you can touch and all that and, and build build up to what you need to build up to. And now you have to kind of cram it in, so to speak. But it, it forces you to explain it a lot clearer in ways that can touch all those guys and make sure that they're all on the same page. So I can definitely feel what you're saying. That's I'm glad you said that. Yeah. I've, I've come up with so many – because we had so many guys out and guys, you know – either they were, they were contact trace or test positive or were feeling sick or hurt. Mm-hmm. I've come up with more four and four drills that I've had. <laughs> I mean, I lay in my bed like, well, that'd be a good one. You know what yeah. I mean? How about we have them run in from the side? You know what I mean? It's like, because you got to keep everything fresh, but at the same time trying to teach your system with limited number of players too. So it's made me kind of think outside the box a little bit. And like, I'll come in with drills with my assistants and they'll be like, that's a good one. Where'd you get that one? I said, watching football last night on my you know i mean in my couch just trying to come up with different ideas so i think that's made me a better coach because you got to get innovative you know what i mean the more innovative you can get for your players the better the better you're going to be i love it that's good stuff coach let's let's go back a little bit talk about your childhood you know where'd you grow up what was your childhood like did you have any uh, powerful influences in your life that kind of guided you down this path to become a coach yeah so yeah my parents came from cuba they, they, they came in, in, into the United States, you know, obviously defected from a communist regime. And I was able to grow up in Miami, Florida, but it was as closest to Cuba that you can get. You know, back then, uh, a lot of um, Cuban immigrants would come over and, and defect from Cuba and, and build their life in Miami. So where I grew up in the Hispanic household, basketball wasn't a big sport, you know. Uh, my dad was a Boston Celtics fan simply because when he came from Cuba, he turned the TV on and they were playing Oscar Robinson back, back with Cincinnati Royals and they were getting their butt kicked. And mm-hmm. he became a fan of the underdog, not knowing that have won like nine straight championships, yeah. you know? So <laughs> that's how I kind of got into it, watching it with my, with my dad. My dad was a football coach. So I grew up playing football, baseball, you know what I mean? And when I chose basketball, and I got the evil eye from, from Abuelo and, and Abuelo, you know, they're like, you ain't Spanish, man. Like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. it was a little different. I took a different path, but I, I started to love the game because when I watched it, you know, it was something that, that it, it, it grew on me and I didn't start playing really till I was in the eighth grade, but I do, I learned quickly that standing outside in the hot sun and football and, and, and baseball and going, Went into the air conditioning and tank top and shorts. Heck yeah, man. I'm in, you know, especially in Florida. And I loved it. You know, I loved watching Larry Bird and Magic and those guys. That was the era that I grew up in. So I became a, a, it became almost like an addiction, you know, Mm -hmm. and my dad played, but he wasn't a coach, but he coached me the best he could. 
And, you know, my influence growing up in the hard work I did and the things that I tried to instill, which is the, you know, work hard, put your head down at work, no excuses, was my grandfather. And my grandfather and my dad opened up a dry cleaning business. I used to work there on Saturdays as a young kid. And I saw them kind of grind through it. And my dad never complained, never talked about he didn't have this, he didn't have that. He, we always discussed the things we always had. And he said, if you can get to wherever you want to go. One thing you can't do is always complain about the things you don't have. Yeah. You know, if you want to have something, that's great. But what you have now is just as good. And if you use that as a tool to work to something you want to get to in the future. And he's, they supported me. You know, I didn't grow up in a – I grew up with, with mom and dad in the house. My, my little sister, my grandmother lived with us. So I learned English in school. I mean, I still remember going to kindergarten my first day and walking in. I, I remember to like it was. I remember what I was wearing, and I was like, "What is everybody saying?" I had no yeah. idea. It was all English, you know what I mean? So I learned English in school. So my first language was Spanish. Okay. And fast forward now, thirty-four years later, it's helped me because in the recruiting ties and overseas, and being able to coach the Puerto Rican national team and being able to coach and recruit kids from Central America and South America. You know, it's been awesome because it gives me a little bit of a of an edge on other coaches. And I learned that through my family. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have had that opportunity to open that door. You know, and I didn't know Absolutely. what I was going to do when I was older. But basketball for me was always – came very easy. You know, I, I for some reason I just was able to know everybody's position, you know, and, and every every team I played on, like I was like – not captain, but I always kind of knew and I had a good voice. So I loved it so much. And I didn't want to sit behind a desk in a shirt and tie. I asked one thing I was, whatever I did, I would have worked construction, which is nothing wrong with working construction. I love those guys work hard as heck. I would have done that before you give me a, a corporate job. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. being able to coach and being around young men and, and, you know, the younger generation and keeping me young, you know, yeah, um, was great. And that all came through my childhood, you know, growing up in a Hispanic household, being very tight with my family, being a, a family that loved being around each other and, and used love, but also fought a lot too and learned adversity. You know, my dad and mom, they had an education and when they came here, it was taken away from them and they had to redo it all over again. And my yeah. grandfather was at a hotel in Cuba and wow. it got overtaken by the government and he came here with nothing. You know what I mean? He, wow. he started sewing. So the, the, those experiences, they taught me, you know, through my childhood to, to not see obstacles as complete objects that are in your way and you're not going to be able to get around them. And that, that helped me to get where I am today. Absolutely. I, I can appreciate the heck out of that story. Um, you know, <clears throat> coming up that way and, and learning that work ethic from your grandfather and applying it to, to help you get to where you're at now. You don't get to where you're at now if you don't have that inside of you. And, uh, and so it's, and I try to do the same thing with my boys. I, uh, I, I coach in the neighborhood I grew up in the same high school. That's and, awesome. And, uh, it's inner city type, type of kids and they don't have a lot, most of them and, and same kinds of lessons. Just, just put your head down and work. Don't worry about what you don't have, set your goals and then go to work. It's pretty simple. And, uh, so if I can try to be an example for them, what that looks like, you know, a lot of them maybe don't have a father at home or, or that example, then, you know, that, then I'm glad that I'm, I am where I'm at. So I can definitely appreciate that. 
and you're going to make a big influence on those guys, man. You know, you don't know it now, and they don't know it now, really. You know, they just see you as coach, and coach is telling me to do this, but you always see it five five years later, you know, three or four years later. And 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 that's the that's the enjoyable thing of our job, man. It, it really is, is to see these guys move on after they leave you and try to help them become the best men possible, you know. Yes, and, and we have that influence. Thank goodness we do. And yeah. we can help the, the younger generation, you know, more ways than one. You know, what's going on in the U.S. now, which we'll talk about later, you know, something that we can teach them and we can learn from them as well. You know, we, we went through something similar, but nothing, nowhere near what they've gone through. Yeah. So, you know, they can help us, too. They've opened up my eyes as well, you know, and, and it's made me become a better person, too. Yes, sir. I couldn't agree more, Coach. You know, real quick, go back. You know, you coached the Puerto Rican national team. What was that experience like? Oh, uh, it was – I learned so much more from them than, than they did for me. You know, our mm -hmm. team, Coach Patino was a head coach. We're lucky enough to have the opportunity to do it. I was blessed enough for him to ask me to be his assistant. You know, and the, the, the original, his, my, his thought process was, well, you know Spanish. <laughs> you know, you can help me translate. And the funny thing was, like, <laughs> all those dudes spoke English. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, <laughs> he yelled at, he yelled at J.J. Barea, like, Mike, will you tell him to get back on defense? And I'd be like, uh, JJ, get back on defense. You know, it, it, <laughs> yeah. awesome. But but I was blessed that he gave me that opportunity because to be around guys like JJ Barea and Carlos Rivera, Mo Harkless, um, Ronaldo Balkman, you know, AD Vasallo, yeah. those pros, man, those guys that played at high levels and have been playing pro for so long. I learned more during dinners with those guys, having a couple bottles of wine. Then I, then, I did, then I taught them in practice, and yeah. it was more of a rapport, which I was my first real experience um, of dealing with professionals, where they're mm -hmm. men just like you are. You're trying to come to the same goal, but you can have a great rapport, and they're very smart. Yeah. So that was an awesome experience. And, you know, when we walk out to play, I remember it hit me. When we're walking out in Mexico City, and our first pool play game was Argentina, and they had Scola. Nocioni, Ginobili, Compasso, Della Protea. I'm, I'm like, wow. Wow. You know what yeah. I mean? It was so awesome to, to be able to coach through that. And that was a great – I learned a lot from those guys. I learned a lot of how to take care of your body. You know, those mm -hmm. guys have been playing for a long time, how to prepare for games. Scouting was awesome with them. So it was a great experience. And I use some of that stuff that I learned from them to this day, you mm -hmm. know, because um, it, it helps me teach my guys better. Because they, mm -hmm. they were able to teach me. So it was, it was a cool experience. I'll do it tomorrow again if I could. No, it's beautiful. You know, you brought up Manu Ginobili. I, I grew up in San Antonio my whole life. And uh, he is absolutely one of my favorite all-time uh, competitors and players. He just had this inner fire about him that, that was just awesome to watch every single day. Now, so I, I felt lucky to be able to watch it all the time. Play. When they put the national team uniform on now, those dudes are like, it's a whole, I mean, they're very proud of their country. Yeah. You know, Spain, Argentina, Dominican Republic, all, all those teams that we played, Mexico, like when they put that uniform in Ginobili, man, he played as hard in a first-round pool play game that I saw him play in the NBA Finals. You know yeah. what I mean? And it was, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was poetry to watch, really. It was really cool. So, Well, I'm envious, Coach. That's beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was a part of your journey. Let's talk about, I guess, the beginning. When you got into coaching, um, and up until this point in your career? Yeah, it was funny. I, I had a call with my old college coach just the other day. I, I invited him up for a couple of days. His name is Gary Toole. He's from mm -hmm. Louisville, but coached me in college, and I worked for him my first two years as a graduate assistant. And I invited him over because I wanted to get his opinion on my team, and he's such a, a great mind. He was really the one that I knew 
that this is what I wanted to do. You know, uh, every, the way he handled himself and the way he coached us. And I remember a conversation I had with him going into my junior year. Um, I was voted team captain, you know, and I was coming back as one of the returning starters as a sophomore. And I was excited to play. Everybody's dream is obviously I'm going to play professional basketball. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, I know I'm at St. Thomas University and NAIA school with 6,000 students. I don't care. I'm going to go play somewhere for money. Yeah. And he calls me in his office and he says, first thing he says to me is, you know, you're never going to play for money, right? <laughs> and I, I was like, damn. Like, hey, coach, I love you too. You know what I mean? He says, I tell you that. He says, I tell you that not to discourage you. If you have the opportunity to do it, do it. But I, I'm telling you that because I think your future is in, in, in basketball and coaching. You know, I would love for you to, after you graduate, stay here and be my graduate assistant. And I'm going to pay for your master's. And I think that coaching is something you're good at. You have a good commu communication with your teammates. I got along with everybody. Mm -hmm. And I got on everybody's butt just like I did, um, you know, the freshmen, I, the seniors. You know, we had – so he always saw that in me, and I said, yeah, I'll do it. So when I graduated, he takes another job at Augusta State, and he takes me with him. And mm -hmm. I was able to get my master's and coach those two years. And during that time was when I really knew that's what I wanted to do because he let me do everything, recruit, coach, you know, schedule, everything that had to do with, with being an assistant. But we only had two people. It was me and him. And it was a Division two school, but I thought it was a great experience. And I thought, man – I'm waking up every day. I go to class for an hour. I get up. I'm in shorts. I go and I work out dudes for an hour and a half. And then I go lift with them. And then we go to practice. Like, you, you, you're telling me I can get paid to do this if I wanted it for the rest of my life? Like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm doing it. So he, this isn't, yeah. he was the one that, that kind of got me to love the game, believe it or not. You know, and that's when I started doing it. And I said, you know, from that point on, whatever decisions I make in life, we're gonna. We're, it was solely be to improve my position in coaching. It had nothing to do with money. It was. It didn't have to do with um, where the best place was to live. It didn't have to do with, um, you know, getting to the highest level. It was always about what is the next step for me to be able to get to my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal was to be a head coach, and I didn't care what level it was. I wanted to be – if I was junior college, division two, I didn't care. I just wanted to have the opportunity to run my, my team at one point in my life. And that journey was fun, man. It, it was great. And that's when I knew at that point after I finished college I was going to go into coaching. It was going to be at some level of basketball. And I didn't know what level, but it was going to be at, at some level. What about some other uh, mentor uh, coaches in your life that you consider mentors? Yeah, I mean, obviously, what the, the first one that comes, every coach I've worked for, I, I feel like has been a mentor to me. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm going to go in order, okay? So give me a second here. So uh, Coach Tool as a GA, then I became a high school head coach for two years, okay. which was very rewarding. Goes back to what you were talking about. We'd have kids in the gym till like 9 o'clock. Yeah. I want to go home. I've been there since 6.30, right? And I'm like, man, they love basketball. And it no, they, they really didn't love basketball. They just didn't love being home. Yeah, but they would never tell me that. So once I learn about their background and stuff, I, I left the gym open till, you know, whenever, and I take them home, and I get home at eleven, twelve. It didn't matter to me. Yeah. But I was a head coach for two years, and I worked for a gentleman named um, Tony McAndrews for one year at Nova Southeastern. Great guy. Was an assistant for Lou Olson at Arizona. Then I was I interviewed for the head job at Miami Dade. Mm -hmm. Didn't get it, but the guy that got it 
offered me the assistance job because he wanted to get into Miami. He was from North Carolina. His name is Butch Estes. He's the head coach at Barry University now. Okay. And Butch was still one of my best friends. And I worked for him for two years, making no money, but I love what I did. That was my most rewarding, besides the high school, junior college was my, the most rewarding coaching years I ever had. Because those guys, like, it's the end of the road for them if you don't help them. You know, yeah. they're done. I mean, they got nowhere to go after that. So Butch was a great influence on me. Then he connected me with Matt Doherty, who was the head coach of North Carolina, who played with Michael Jordan in college, who was national coach of the year, yeah. gets back into coaching at Florida Atlantic, needs a local guy in Florida to recruit. I knew all the high school coaches, all the AAU coaches, and he has a third assistant spot, and he's recruiting some of the guys on our team. And the day he comes to watch uh, practice, or it was after the season, so workouts, Butch calls me and says, I'm not going to be there. You're running workouts. I can't be there. Something came up. So I was like, okay. And we always had coaches in there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Not knowing that he had already spoke to Matt earlier about me joining his staff. He says, you watch him coach and work and how he relates with the players, and you, you'll see that he'll help you. Yeah. So I just did my deal, not knowing at all. and. Coach and I drove together to an open gym that day, and we talked. And that was the first time we really got to know each other and then and moved forward that he, he offered me the job. Later on, Butch didn't go on purpose. He could have been yeah. there, but he did that to give me the opportunity to coach in front of Coach Doherty. Wow. So, awesome. you know, Coach Doherty was another mentor. I mean, I learned if you want to talk about one of the bad, one of the worst um, habits that Hispanics have, right? What is one of the worst habits we have? We're late to everything. I was going to say tacos, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, talking loud, but we're late. When I grew up, like 12 noon, 1230 is 12 noon. I mean, come yeah, on, yeah. everything's laid back, you know? So yeah. I got in such a habit of getting places right on time or being late, you know what I mean? Or And coach taught me, like, man, 8 o'clock is 750. Yeah. You know, you're, you're 10 out 10 minutes early, you're late. And he, he sent me to this class. I have it here. I'll, I'll show it to you. It's a Franklin planner, and I never didn't know what the hell it was. He had one. He made me use it. Yeah, And he got me so organized and he got me so much good at my follow-up and recruiting, um, attention to detail, you know, and I, then I worked for Rex Walters and he's one of the best in-game coaches I've been around. Um, he worked, played in the NBA, played for Coach Williams at Kansas, played for nice. Pat Riley. And wow. he's one of the best in-game guys I ever had. So I ever, I ever worked for. So that aspect he helped me in. Then I was able to work for Frank Haith. You know, Frank Haith was a, a phenomenal recruiter. Then I worked for Scott Cherry at High Point, you know, and that was 2008 to 2012. First head coaching job. So I was part of a staff with a guy that was a first-time head coach. So I was able to see kind of the, the trials and tribulations of juggling stuff as a first-year head coach, what yeah. things we didn't do good, what things we improved in year two. You know, and I was able to see that. And then after Scott, I worked for Richard Patino, another guy who was a first-time head coach. So I took the experience I had with Scott and was able to help Richard through his first experience as a head coach. And that's when I got to know his dad, Coach Patino. You know, it's funny. You, Richard's father is one of the greatest minds of basketball of all time, Hall of Fame. And Coach Patino would tell Richard, like, to do certain things. And Coach is like, ah, Dad, you don't know my team. <laughs> Leave me alone. So the way it worked was coach will call me, be like, Mike, you guys can't do that on ball screens. You need to tell Richard we need to do this. So I go in the meeting and be like, hey, coach, why don't we take a look at, you know, switching this. And, yeah, that's a great idea. But it's really coming from, <laughs> really coming from the Hall of Famer. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So that rapport that I built with Coach P was what allowed me to have the opportunity to work for him at Louisville. Listen, I'm not dumb, man. I'm not naive. You don't think there's a hundred other better candidates for that job? It's the best job, in my opinion, one of the best programs in the history of college basketball. You're working for all of them. Absolutely. You don't think there could have been assistants that were older and more experienced that had a better resume than I did to get that job? Absolutely. A hundred percent. But the relationship that I have with coach, coach, his thing is I make people, I make assistants, head coaches. That's what I do. That's I mold them. And he saw a challenge. So he offered me a job and the rapport that we had during the year at FIU when I was with Richard allowed me to have that open door with him. And he, he hires me at, at Louisville. Like when that hit me, you know, I, 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 I thought, that's it, man. I've made it. Like, this is, this is working for Rick, for Rick Pitino. I grew up watching his teams at Kentucky and Boston Celtics, yeah. my favorite team. He coached the Celtics. Like, and so, you know, all those guys were mentors to me. Yeah. But the ones that come to the surface are three. <laughs> Gary Toole, my college coach, Matt Doherty, and, and Rick Pitino. Those three are the guys that I, I call on a consistent basis to still ask for advice. They always answer. They always help. They never say no. They tell me when I'm being an idiot. They tell me when I'm, you know, stick with your guns. They tell me, you know, and, and they tell me the truth. And that's what I appreciate about them, you know. And I hope I can be that person someday for somebody. You know what I mean? And that's what I want to do with my staff as well. You always have to appreciate that. The, when someone's genuine with you and they're telling you the truth, it might not always be what you want to hear. Um, but when they're telling you what the truth is, that's how you grow and and you learn, you know, you're not always right about everything. And so yeah, it's always good to have coach, a sheep in your corner. Coach Patino made us think like head coaches every day. I mean, it was every day. I got hired in March, okay? And I flew with him in March. I can't remember the exact date. But we got on the plane, on his plane, at like 9 p.m. Eastern time. We landed in Louisville about almost 9.45 because you go back an hour. Central time. Mm-hmm. I go to my hotel. Now, mind you, they had just won the national championship. I, I know who Russ Smith is. I know who Luke Hancock. I know who they are. Montrez Harold, Shane Bay. I know those guys. Yeah. But I don't know them because I've never coached them. So we land at 945. We have a meeting with the team at 8 a.m. We meet as a staff after, and I'm like sitting in the back, like, man, this is unbelievable. A national cha-. You know, I'm like, I'm like still like in this, this, this glow. We get in the coaches meeting, and that's when it hit me like, you better get your ass in gear. Yeah. He looks at me. Now, remind you, we got, I got in there 945, went straight to my hotel, woke up in the morning, went to, to the meeting. He sits down and he says, Mike, what do you think? I'm like, coach, man, I, you know, I'm so excited. He goes, hey, what do you know about Russ? And I'm like, oh, he averaged these many points. He's like, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. What do you know about Russ's background? You know his dad's name. You know his mother's name. You know where he's from. And I said, "No, coach, I haven't had a chance to to talk to any of those guys. I just got here last night." And he's like, "Oh, well, thank God this isn't your program, because if it was, you wouldn't know your players." Yeah. I'm like, you know, that was his way of telling me, "Hey, this is great, but you still got a lot of work to do." Yeah. So you know, I met with all those guys the next couple of days and got to know them, and just the mentality he puts you through on a consistent basis. It's like being on a coaching clinic every day, you know, and. When he puts that responsibility on you, he's really, truly, genuinely trying to help you become a head coach, you know. And that's what I want to do with my with my staff. And guys like that, you always remember. And there's a reason why they are where they are, you know what I mean? And there's a reason why he's got 32 assistants as head coaches somewhere. That NBA, is crazy, yeah. Yeah, you know. Hey, Frank Vogel was his manager 
at wow. Kentucky. Yeah. Was his video guy with the Celtics. The guy's a Nash NBA, you know, world champion. Billy Donovan. You know what I mean? Uh, wow. Rick Cronin, Kevin Willard. I mean, I can go on and on and on. You know what I mean? So it, it, I'm very blessed to have that opportunity. And, and I want to tell people out there, like, there's no way three years before that I would have believed that I ever would have been in that position. Yeah. But th because the, the decisions I made in coaching that had nothing to do with money, I never made a decision based on money. We all need it. I get it. We all got to live. But yeah. every decision I made was, I thought was the best step in that moment to help me continue to improve my career. And don't sit in there. Everybody listening today or whoever's going to listen, the three people or the 200 people, don't ever think of yourself down and out in any situation. You never know where things are going to take you. Yeah. You just got to believe in what you're doing and stick to your guns, you know? So. I, I coach, I couldn't agree more. And I love what you're saying about challenging your assistant coaches. I think it's good for other head coaches to hear that. I was blessed as well. I mean, it wasn't Rick Patino, uh, but I worked for a guy that, that uh, he knew my goal was to become a head coach. And so every single day he gave me tasks and uh, you know, I, I felt like he prepared me well. So that way, when, when this job opened up, I felt like, I was ready. And, and if it wasn't for him taking me under that wing, um, you know, maybe I don't have this opportunity to come home and help these kids that I'm working with. And so I, I could be more grateful for Coach Olandike. And, uh, and, and I live in Texas, and he's from, he's from Iowa, and the style of basketball is, differently, is different. And so I grew up thinking basketball one way. And out in Iowa, they, they think basketball is totally different. And so right. I learned so much uh, from a concept standpoint from him that I just didn't know before. And so I, I couldn't be more, more blessed to have worked under a guy like that. Yeah, you know? no, no doubt. And you know, when people say like, when, when people talk about wherever they've made it, the famous ones, uh, you know, I hate when they'll say I did it on my own. Mm -hmm. You know, I get the mentality of I worked hard. Like when mm -hmm. you're in the gym, yeah, you, yeah, that person, whether you're becoming a, a pro in whatever sport or yeah, you did work hard. Yeah. We all stayed up late and watched film. Yes. We all, you know, gain knowledge you know what I mean but you cannot tell me that every successful person in this world did not have one person in their background that helped them get if it was the person that drove you to the gym yeah. and didn't go in hell if it wasn't for them you couldn't get to the gym yeah they helped you you know what I mean the person that opened up the gym for you the person that gave you your first ball the person that bought you your first pair of shoes there's always multiple people in our background and in our history and our life that helped us get to where we are. So we always got to acknowledge them. You know, we always have to give sure. them praise, starting with our parents or mom, dad, guardian, whoever it is, all the way up to, you know, wherever you get to where you want to go. And you just got to – the thing that I feel I have to do is always reciprocate that to the people I come in contact with now. If I'm not doing that, it's egotistical. You know what I mean? It, sure. it, I, and and it's, sure. it's not doing what people did, did for me. And that's what I, I love to do, you know, moving forward. And that's why – love talking to coaches and doing whatever I can to help, you know, with their journey. I'm going to add one more to that list coach, because uh, I'm sure she'll probably be upset if I don't, but, but like your spouse too, my wife, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for her, if it wasn't for her, I, I mean, the late nights and the early mornings and uh, I mean, I'm gone by four 30 in the morning, you know, sometimes I don't get back to almost midnight, you know, depending on what's going on. Uh, she's got to tolerate it and, and she has my back and she's fully supportive. And you know, without that, you know, I'd probably be unhappy doing what I'm doing. <laughs> doing it takes a special, special woman or partner, whatever you want, you know what I mean? Yeah. To, to be and understand what it's like to be a coach's 
significant other. My wife, she is like a rock star. She raised my two twins. Like she did it. You know what I mean? She, I walk in after practice, after a game, and she's got both of those. Like I'm good. You know what I mean? So when she tells me I need a moment, she's going to get that moment, whatever she needs. <laughs> yeah, honey, I got you. So I'm glad you brought that up. So yeah. give you some brownie points too. I appreciate that. I'm a, I'll, I'll clip this and show it to her. That way she'd be happy. Yeah. No you doubt. know, but to answer that though, like she's just as invested in, in our program as, as I am. She goes to every game. She shows up to practice. She's like a team mom. Um, and, uh, so when we weren't able to do these things, it was hard. So we're able to start working out and she showed up the other day and, and she got a little emotional. She was like, it just feels good to be back, you know, in the gym, have a little bit of normalcy. Like we talked about earlier. Better take care of her, man. She's a good one. That's, <laughs> I don't even know her, but she, if you said that story, she's a good yeah. one. I appreciate it, coach. So, uh, talk about a couple of your favorite basketball memories. It could be playing or coaching related. You could be seven years old, you know. 37 years old, whatever. My, my first interaction with basketball, I'm going to give you my first one as a, as a spectator. I had detention in the, in the eighth grade, mm-hmm. okay? I, 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 I was the, the cool guy that wanted to get a certain haircut that we weren't allowed. I went to a private school, so I got two lines on the side of my head like that. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was like, my mom was like, the cool mom. So she's like, that's a great idea. My dad's like, I'm going to kill you, you know? And I'm like, I don't care. It's not fair. We should be able to cut our hair however I want, you know, rebel type. So I walk in and obviously I get, I get detention. I can't have that haircut. So it was a blessing because I was in detention. I had to help the, the, the person that was the coordinator of, we had to go help. I had to keep score for the eighth grade. No, I'm sorry. It was in the seventh grade for the eighth grade girls championship game St. Kevin which I went through versus St. Brendan and it was girls basketball girls basketball and I'm doing the score for the girls and I'm watching it and it was like a high level eighth grade in my opinion back then basketball game yeah overtime game we lost but I'm like I will never forget that day because I'm watching that game and when I got home that day I put a chair on this iron door that we had in the back. And that was my first basket. I put a chair up there and I, and I, and I was with the volleyballs, I started playing. And that was, and so that's a memory in my mind that will never, ever leave. Like I hope if this goes on Twitter, there's a guy, he don't even has any idea that it was him, but it was a guy named Joseph Borejo. He was an eighth grader. He was in detention too. And he was running (laughs) up and down, like cheering the game. He's probably like, I don't even know where he is now. If he ever sees it, he'd be like, what the hell, really? And I was like, man, this is awesome. That's why I started loving basketball. It's a girls' basketball game. Yeah. And then, and then as, as a player, being able to represent St. Thomas in the national tournament was special, winning a championship with Coach Tool. You know, and then as a coach, you can name any game that we played at Louisville. I mean, Duke, well, when we played to go to the Final Four, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we lost in Michigan State. When we beat, you know, NC State to go to the Elite Eight, um, when we played North Carolina at home, down 17, came back to win by 11. Wow. Uh, we're down 14 to Duke at home. There's so many, so many memories as a coach that I can't pinpoint one, but I can remember way back when why I started to love the game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and it was the simple stuff. It was, it was the simple, and it was that, that girls game. And I'll never that, – that, that memory will be embedded in my mind. Just like when I walked in kindergarten and didn't know English, yeah. it, that's embedded in my mind forever and you know you just grow to love something you know you become obsessed with it It, it's almost like 
it's almost a bad thing because yeah. you, you, you revolve your, your life around the game of, you know, wins and losses determine your, your mood and attitude. And so what we all want to do, but it also keeps you young and fresh and competitive too. So, but that, that, those are my, those are my most fond memories. I'm glad to have, to have this opportunity to get to know you. I can, I can feel that, uh, that passion there and that, that genuine love for what you're doing. I mean, it's just kind of coming straight through the screen here and it's hitting me in the face. It's good stuff, it's, coach. I don't put up any act. My players know, like, I'm, I'm straight up. Like, a lot of people like it. A lot of people don't. But at least they know where I stand. You know what Absolutely. I mean? You never say I'm, 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 I'm full of it. You know, and I, I really, I mean, I wake up every day, man. I, hey, I do this every morning. I, I, I like, I really don't brush my hair. I kind of just go like this. And I, I brush my teeth. And I put my nose against the, the, the mirror every morning. And I say, don't screw this up. And I, and I walk <laughs> out. You know, I mean, I'm blessed, man. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? So um, we just got to keep ourselves con- continuously trying to get better. You know, sure. Help everybody around us, too. It's refreshing, though. It's refreshing to see. I, I wake up. I'm genuinely in a good mood all the time. I just feel, I guess, blessed is the word to be in the position I'm in and have a, have a pretty solid life, you know, been through some things, but you get through it. And yeah. uh, so I'm always in a good mood. I mean, I, I get to work super early, first guy on campus, probably the last one to leave. Uh, but throughout the whole day, I'm always just walking around in this good mood and, and people are like, you're a little too uh, happy for me. And I, and I just don't get it. I feel like I'm going crazy. Um, but I'd rather just be myself. And, and like you said, if, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. But keep doing that, man. Because yeah. those three people that tell you that are going to turn around and go back to their classroom, and there's going to be one dude one day be like, "I need to be like like Marcus or Coach Alvarado." You know what I mean? It just yeah. takes one. It just takes one, yeah. and he'll change five other ones. You know? Yeah. So stay no with that. Stay I with that, Coach. Yeah. Yeah. So you are one of four Latino head coaches at the Division One level. Um, who are they? Can you name them? Yep, Frank Martin, South Carolina. Yes, sir. Tony Pujol, North Alabama, okay. and Ron Sanchez, University of uh, North Carolina, Charlotte. Nice. So UNC Charlotte, and then myself. That's so it. that's that's pretty powerful. It's amazing. It's it's powerful to see for young coaches like myself, and uh, to see what you guys are doing at that level. Um, but what does that feel like for you? It's a blessing to even be named a head coach. You know, there's only 351 jobs. At, at the Division One level, I'm one of 351 in in, in, in the United States that have an opportunity to coach a, a program. You know? So that in itself is is a blessing for me. Um, I'm a Cuban guy from Miami. What the hell am I doing in Jonesboro, Arkansas, coaching a Division One team? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it it, you know, when you think about it, it it's just like, how, how can that happen? You know? And out of the three guys that I just named, myself included, Frank Martin and Tony, we all came from the same city in Miami, Florida, you know what I mean? And one of the things that those two did was they helped us young guys. You know, Frank coached me in AAU, you know what I mean? And, and he, he opened up the door and he always was very open to young coaches wanting to learn. And he was, he goes and works for Bob Huggins and you come back to Miami and treat you normal and he'd take you out to, you know, go out to lunch with him and, and you can call him. And he always responded. And, you know, Tony was a great high school coach. And then it took the, assistance route and then now as a head coach you know and then Ron Sanchez is one of the best players in Dominican history you know what I mean and and Mm -hmm. he he took a a long route as well so like all those things it's a blessing to be one of four you know it really is because 
we want to do whatever we can to open up the doors for the young Hispanic generation. And, and it's not something that very easy to get into basketball is, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit harder. It, it is because number one, all these guys probably weren't good players as, as other guys were, you know, and then number two, did you grow up around it or did you pick it up while you were older? You know, and then how many of us have had the opportunity to play at the highest level? You know, a lot of these guys have that. We, 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 some have, I, I surely didn't. Frank didn't. Ron didn't. Tony didn't. You know what I mean? So yeah. how do we get to where we are? It's, it's, it's by helping each other mm-hmm. and, and by hard work. Like I admire the, uh, the black coaches association. I, I, I admire them so much because they are the epitome of helping each other out. They help each other get jobs. They help each other. This is my guy over here. They, they are so networked. You know what I mean? And what I've noticed about some people in our race sometimes is we're almost like jealous when other people get something. It's almost like, oh, I can't believe I didn't, I didn't get that. You know what I mean? And I it was hard for me to grow up around that because I never, you know, I wasn't taught that way. So we need to do a better job of helping each other. You know, we need to be happy when other people get jobs or help a guy. You know, I got two assistants on my staff. My strength coach is Dominican Cuban and my, my assistant coach is, is Dominican, yeah. you know? So I'm, I want to do my part to help this, you know, get them, you know, if, if we have an opportunity to hire somebody like that and they're, they fit the mold, let's help them. You know what I mean? And let's, let's work, let's work together to see if we can grow this thing. Like the Latin, you know, basketball coaches association, everybody, every Hispanic should be part of that. You know, every, we all should do that because the bigger it gets, the more connections we get, the more network we get, and all of a sudden we can help each other. You know what I mean? You can, we can help each other get, get bigger. So it's a blessing. Like, I, I don't go by one day thanking God for the opportunity of me being one of four, but even more so me being one of 351. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that's big for me too. And, and I, 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 I want to do everything I can on a daily basis to make sure I solidify that as, as a blessing and try to work as hard as I can for my team and for my, for my staff. You know, and I'm grateful, too, for, for what Jason Ludwig has done for the LABC, getting it started. And from what I've seen over the years, it's growing. And, uh, and like you said, every, every Latino coach should be a part of it. Um, you know, I was lucky. I just – my friend Orlando Mendez Valdez played on the Mexican yeah. national team. Oh, no, Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky. I have nightmares about him. Don't even yeah. mention his name ever again, dude. Well, that dude was a heck of a player. We played against him in the Mexican national team. Yes, yeah, so he grew up in San Antonio. He's, a, he's two years younger than me. Awesome. Uh, so he grew up west side, south side, predominantly Hispanic. No, I'm from the south. He's from the west. But as you get older, that never means anything. You end up being friends. And so uh, he sent me this link about the LABC when the Final Four came to San Antonio. And so I went to the lunch. And at the time, it was only college coaches. And I had no idea. I was the only high school guy there. But then Frank Martin, some of those guys walk in, they start speaking. And then you're just kind of in awe, like, wow. This is pretty awesome to see these guys come together for what you're talking about, helping each other out, helping grow. And, um, and so I was grateful for that opportunity. So I'm glad that, that Jason's trying to make it bigger. And, and so I sent messages to every, every coach in San Antonio. And I don't know if it's a rare thing or not, but we've got a ton of, at least at the high school level, we've got a ton of Latino head coaches here in San Antonio. Right. And um, so I just started sending text messages out to everybody. Hey, LABC. You should join. It'd be great. Because I think you're right. I think it's it's important that we uh, make this network grow and help each other out instead of competing against each other, you know, help each other. 
Yeah, help each other, man. And and also, like, because of the area, like you said, a lot of Hispanic, you know, Miami and Florida, there are a lot too. You know what I mean? So it's because of the population. And, you know, it's, it's a big, predominantly Hispanic, you know, South Florida. So there's going to be a lot of them. And there's a lot of good ones. And, yeah. and we need to help them. I'd love to put a clinic. We, we're talking talk to Jason about putting a clinic together, you know, with Frank and, you know, coach, bring coaches to come in and speak and, and man, do it for free. Like, see if we can get it somehow um, sponsored where, where people can just come in. And I hate charging for that. Like, like who the hell is going to pay for to listen to me speak? That's stupid. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not doing I don't, I wouldn't pay for myself to hear me speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, you shouldn't do that. I would love to do it. Frank would love to do it, I'm sure. You know, I'm not speaking for him, but I know him. I know he'll like, yo, let's do it. You know what I mean? So, it's always about, you know, networking. Life is about networking. Yep. You know, you can be a 4.0 student. You cannot miss a day of class. But if you put your head down and not talk to your classmates, you're going to run into a brick wall at some point. Yeah. The guy that gets a B minus, but is the social guy and knows everybody in his classroom and speaks to his professors and speaks to his counselors and speak. That's the guy that the degree does not show the GPA. Yeah. <laughs> the degree yeah. shows where you graduated from. Exactly. But behind that degree, can you write down all the names of people you come in contact with during your college to help you get somewhere? You know what I mean? And I think that's the biggest thing. So networking is so big. And you got to be open and being able to listen to criticism and being able to listen to stuff you don't like to hear. Um, that's a lot of us are afraid of that. It's human nature. We don't like to hear stuff we don't, we don't agree with. Yeah. But that helps us grow. And sometimes that's good for us. Yeah. Frank, Frank told me. Frank, Frank, was, Frank told me, look, my first job's Miami-Dade, FAU, University of Miami, and I'm leaving Miami, and I said, Frank, man, what do I need to do to get a Division One job again? You know, I, I want to I get back into, you know, on the road. And he's like, get out of Florida. <laughs> get out of Florida. So you, you, you're comfortable there. You know everybody. It's great. Broaden your horizons. Get out of there and see if you can build another network in another state and build AAU connections and build, you know, get out of there. So my advice to you is get the heck out of Miami, you know? Yeah. And he was right. So I went to High Point in North Carolina and I built relationships. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, it, it, it's, it's helped. So that was – did I want to hear that? No. no. Did, I, did I want to be able to go to South Beach on Sundays? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> did I want to go to hang out? Yeah. My boys were there. Yeah, it sounded great. But was that going to help me get to where I wanted to go? Yeah. He told me the truth. He said, no, you're going to be, have to leave like I did. So that's just advice that you will get from somebody if you network, you know, and Absolutely. that's something that we can continue to do. Yeah. You know, going back to the LABC, uh, no, we were on a town hall meeting the other day and, and you were there and, and someone asked a really good question, you know, in light of all the racial tension in our country, you know, what are, what are some ways that you are educating yourself and then connecting with your players? And so I just kind of want to touch back on that. I thought you gave some good points there. Yeah. So what I talked to my guys about was number one, even though, our background is very similar to a person that comes from a minority. It's completely different from what the African-Americans are going through, you know, for the, especially the guys on my team. So you, we have to understand that we're not in the same situation. Some of us have gone through that. Don't believe me, but I haven't, I couldn't understand the oppression that their grandfathers or great grandparents or families in the past, or that even their parents or themselves have gone through. So for me to try to tell them how to feel, even agree with them, like, hey, I don't agree with it. Like, I, I'm with you guys. The, the way I approached it was, guys, help me understand. Yeah. Like, 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 
give me knowledge. Help me learn what experiences you've gone through so I know. So I, I, I and the, a lot of them gave some heartfelt stories about family, their family members being shot and killed or guys being pulled over and shot by a police officer or, you know, just in broad daylight. You know, by some. So that opened up my eyes. And I thought, I'm 44. Mm-hmm. What is the best way to teach others about what they've gone through? Because I'm 44 and still have questions that I need to, 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 to get answered and learn more about what's going on. Yeah. Because I'd be naive to say I have all the answers. It's wrong. Just do this. No, I, I, I can't. I haven't been through it. So they have to help me. I, I want to understand so I can do everything I can in my power to help them continue to push this narrative. So I'll tell you one thing. I was really highly upset at my education growing up in high school for one reason. I, I'm a history buff. I love documentaries. You can tell me anything about any past presidents, the Vietnam War, World War II, World War III. So I knew it all. Like, I loved history. I just soaked it up. And we're talking about Juneteenth, June 19th. Yeah. And I at 44 was like, June 19th, what's the significance of that? Yeah. Like, I, I was embarrassed. And I told them that. I didn't Google it and, like, come into a meeting acting like I knew what it was. Hey, this is June 19th, guys. This is what... No, man. I walked up and said, hey, fellas, I just want to let you know. I am 44. I turned 45 in November. And I did not know the significance of that. And I felt ignorant and stupid. And I, I'm sorry. So the next day, we had a talk about it. We put it up on the screen and they had a great video. And I brought every single one of my assistant coaches' kids. One coach has two boys at 12 and 7. One has three at – no. Yeah, three. He's four – 12 and 15. Hmm. I brought my kids, 11 years old. And I said, I want every single one of our kids in that meeting. Yeah. You don't wear masks. And I want them to watch that. Because if I didn't know it at age 11 or 12, that sure as hell not going to happen to my kids. Yeah. So I, you know, and I turned to the, to the group and after we talked about it, and I said, guys, this is how we can change it. And I said, everybody turn around and look at the faces behind you. That's how we can change it. That they have to know. We have to teach them the significance of this day and what the African-American race has gone through. And two of my coaches are African-American. Yep. You know what I mean? So it was good for their kids to listen to it. They knew about it. But I was embarrassed to say I didn't know. You know what I mean? But I wasn't also naive to tell them that and act like I knew. That's yep. part of the problem. Part of the problem is people acting like they know when they really don't have all the answers and really haven't been through it. So I told them. That's a vulnerable point for me as a head coach, yeah. telling him, hey, guys, I didn't know. I'm sorry, man, and I'm pissed because I love history, and I should know more about this. I should know more about – but and I didn't know the significance. So teach me about it. Let's learn about it. And we all had a, a group, and, I, and I, all I said to them was, you have a huge narrative. This narrative right now, you have a loud voice. Social media is the loudest voice you can have. Yeah. The only thing I ask of you is I will never tell them what to put on social media. It's not my job. I can um, educate them on what to do and what not to do because mm-hmm. things can hurt them on social media and can help them. So I'm trying to, I can teach them that, but I'm not the guy to tell them you can't put that on there or you can't use Twitter. You, no, I'm not doing that because they have a, a loud voice, especially now. All I told them was whatever you put on social media, you make sure it's two things when you're talking about uh, uh, racial injustice and, and social justice, two things that it's knowledgeable and factual. Yeah. Because the minute you put something out there 
that's not knowledgeable and not factual that they can fact check, you lose credibility. There'll be 50 people that say, oh, look, it wasn't, it wasn't a hundred thousand. It was 88,000. Yeah. <laughs> it's still 88,000. Yeah. But my point is what I'm trying to make them understand is that person is going to look at you and say, he was wrong. Don't, don't look at, he's just, he's just talking out of his, excuse me, out of his butt or out of yeah. his ass, you know, don't. So I just asked them, research it and put something in print that you're proud of, but that is knowledgeable and factual because then you can fight on the stance and people will respect you more. You know what I mean? And people will listen to you on the belief that you know what you're talking about. And I tell them to do it all the time. You know, I, I, yeah, I told the guys, man, I haven't seen any of you post anything on what's going on with, you know, the, the election or whatever. You know, we, we had everybody, I made everybody register to vote, yeah. you know, 70% of my team wasn't registered. So yeah, we registered to vote. Does it end there? No, I have to help them understand what's going on in the world right now. Why do we not vote for Trump or vote for him? Why do we not vote for Biden or vote for him? What is the reason? You know, you're, re you're yeah. not voting for a certain individual because of his racial stance. And is that it? Does the economy not play a piece? Does uh, Homeland Security not play a piece? Does unemployment not play a piece? The, you know, every, there's a whole spectrum of stuff. And I still don't know who I'm going to vote for. I'm still doing research myself. So it's my job, besides teaching them how to screen and, and run a play correctly and go to class and, and, you know, make sure you know that box five is this. Also teaching them, like, to be knowledgeable and, and making a change in the, in, in the world and doing it the right way. So those are the conversations we have, you know, and I'm sure it's different everywhere else. I, I'm not saying it's right, but um, all I can tell you is be honest with your players. Mm -hmm. Kids know when you're full of it. They know when you're trying to get by. They know when you're trying to act smarter than you are. I don't, I mean, I'm not the smartest guy, I'll tell you that. And I'm not going to act like the smartest guy. Yeah. So if I don't know something, I'm going to ask them, help me understand better. Because I don't want them to act like they know the play when they really don't. You know, ask me a question. I want them to have, we have that open rapport. And, you know, that's the way we've attacked it. And, you know, telling them that help us understand better. So we can help others understand better and they can help others understand better. And that's how we kind of change the narrative. No, coach, that's, that's wonderful. You said that and you kind of answered all the, I was going to ask about why it's important to vote, but you kind of already answered that. And, yeah. uh, you know, I had the same conversation with my guys and most of them actually this year, none of them are old enough to vote. Uh, we've had some in the past, but, uh, you know, stuff that they've never even thought about. It's never even really crossed their mind. They're just trying to make it day by day. And, uh, trying to get them to understand why it's important to know what's going on in, in your city and in your country and in the world around you, uh, how you can have an impact that, that they can even have an impact. Most of them don't even realize that, that their voice matters, that it, that it means something. Um, and so just get them to understand that concept. Like, yes, you should understand what's going on. So you can go vote or you can get a job in this area or go make a difference that way. And, uh, and so I, I can't, I love, I love what I do at the level I do it because they're so young and, and moldable in, in that, in that regard. No doubt. You know how smart these guys are, man. I had, I had one, one guy on my team and I won't name him to not embarrass him, but you know, they have a lot of peer pressure too because yeah. they have friends back home and their families and like, you know, the black lives matter stuff, you know what I mean? And we should, we should, um, support black lives matter. And all. I, and I get that, you know what I mean? And, and, and one of them asked me, coach, in private, said, coach, how do I continue to push the narrative, the initiative of 
racial, social injustice. But I don't agree with the violence and the, and the looting and all that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, I thought it was a great question. I thought it was an awesome question. And the answer I gave him was, I don't have the answer. Yeah. So let's invite somebody who's of the same background, who's gone through something like this, who maybe feels the same way, and let them speak to me too about how you do that. And we brought in an associate AD who's played football here, mm -hmm. who's an African-American, who's gone through a lot of stuff in his life too, who's a phenomenal person. Yeah. He's better to do it than me. Yeah, it's my team, but I'm part of that team too. Yeah. So am I the one to give him the answer? Do I just tell him, well, I understand what you're saying. I, I don't have, I don't, I don't want to tell him the wrong thing. So I had him come in and talk to him. Yeah. And he, they're going to ask him questions and he can answer that, that I can't. So, you know, those are things that we, we, we always don't give enough credit to the younger guys because they're smarter than we think. Mm -hmm. And they always have to know that. We all, I always remind my players all the time, you guys are intelligent young men. Yeah. You're intelligent young men. You're intelligent. Because at some point, somewhere in life, somebody told them they weren't going to amount to nothing yeah. or they weren't going to pass the fifth grade. Or, you, you know, somebody said that to them. And they're not going to hear from me. I want them to think the other way. Yeah. I want them to think, believe that they're knowledgeable and they're learning and they're, and they're intelligent to give them confidence in themselves, not only playing on the court, but when they leave me to be able to face adversity, like you can't tell me I can't do something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and, and they've done that with, with me as well. They've, I've learned a lot of stuff from them too. So, you know, it's, it's just a continuing educational forum with these guys. You know, we've kind of touched on it quite a bit, you know, but are there any other, impactful moments in your career where this, where this stuff goes beyond basketball? Um, you know, there's been so many, so many small ones. Uh, I just, the advice I can give everybody is, you know, if you're ever at a point in your life where you feel very stressed and very, you know, you have a lot of high anxiety. One of the things that helped me cope through some of those things was, Understand that if that part is something's happening with that in your life, it's a very significant, integral part of your journey. Mm -hmm. So don't don't you look at stress as as an enemy, but but rather an ally. Because mm -hmm. if you look at it as an enemy, you're gonna miss that time in your life of that journey where something significant is happening. And all you're worried about is how stressed you are, how do you handle the situation? You know what I mean? O plus R equals E. There, uh, I mean, E plus R equals O. There's, there's an event, then it's the reaction, and then it's the outcome. Mm -hmm. You know, E pl plus R equals O. You have the event, this, whatever happened, really the outcome is going to depend on your reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And that reaction is the stress part. You know what I mean? So, Try to look back at significant parts of your life that, that you were probably the most stressed. There's been multiple times in my career that I didn't know if I had a job. You know what I mean? Coach left. I didn't want to go. I was in between jobs. I left FIU to go to Minnesota. I left Minnesota to get FIU. I, I, I didn't um, get the job with the new coach at FIU. I wanted to stay with my family, grow, let them grow up in Florida. I was in limbo, and Coach Patino calls and hires me a little. I mean, come on. You serious right now? Like, come on, what, what the hell? Like, go on, go on, a sport, go on, on, on Sports Illustrated or ESPN, and you'll Google the story. It's like uh, it takes us another hour to talk about it. But, you know, I always – the advice I can give is any significant traumatic things you're going through in life, 
there is a reason why you're going through them is to help you get to your ultimate journey. And if you allow that traumatic event or that stressful time to break you, then it's not that like you're not going to reach where you want to get to. Mm-hmm. Never. Don't ever think that. You're just going to hurt yourself from getting there sooner. Yeah. And, and it's hard to cope. It's easier said than done. Believe me, I've been through it. But the advice I can give is do whatever you can to find somebody to talk to or deal with it in, in the most rationale way possible. Yes, and if you do that, I think it'll help you know, people's journey better. Let's kind of line it up a little bit. What are your top three favorite basketball movies? Oh, my favorite type of movie to watch are documentaries. Yeah. I love documentaries. You know, Glory Road was, was great. With the, with the Texas Western, you know, obviously Hoosiers is great too. Um, but my, my, one of my favorite documentaries was um, Quiet Storm. It's the story of Ron Artest. It's, it's, it's because that really helped me understand how everybody is not the same. You know what I mean? You had to coach guys differently. And I thought it was, I thought it was a great documentary. So that's one that sticks out. Courtship of Rivals. The, the Bird and Magic story, just because I grew up loving those guys. And the friendship they had, but the rivalry they had was was so great. You know what I mean? And any 30 for 30, you know, the the, the, oh, yeah. the Carter effect is great. All those 30 for 30s are oh, so Carter great. effect was awesome, yeah. Yeah. So I'm a huge – there's two things that people don't know about me. I'm a huge tennis fan. Love tennis. I wish I would have played tennis, you know. Um, I saw a great documentary on Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal called Strokes of Genius, which was great, too. Talks a lot about adversity and all that. And I'm a huge, gigantic, don't laugh. promise you won't laugh. I'm a gigantic professional wrestling fan. I mean, I mean, I grew up watching WWF and WWE, so one of my greatest documentaries was, uh, you know, the story of Ric Flair. Nature yeah. great. One of my, my favorite, you know, and what he went through and how he dealt with success and how he dealt with his life and his, you know, personal life and all that. It's so cool to me, you know what I mean? So even though it wasn't basketball, documentaries to me are always real life and it always helps me kind of, you know, even coaching ones. All, all the primes, all for nothing. Watch them all. Yeah. All for nothing, the, the Cardinals, the Dallas Cowboys, the, the, um, the, 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 New, the New Zealand All Blacks, Tottenham Hotspur, like the soccer team. I mean, watch all those because it gives you so many – as a coach, it gave you so many ideas and so many things yeah. to, to deal with. So um, not to be long-winded, but documentaries are my favorite. Any documentary of any sport of any real-life athlete would, would or coach is what I like to watch. So to touch on your wrestling point, one of my favorite clips to watch is a short little clip, but it's an interview with Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he talks about how hard work and, and, and you might be smarter kind of thing, but you, I'd be damned if you outwork me. Um, and I'm not afraid to take that challenge. Like that clip, it's only like two minutes long, but it fires me up every single so time. So cool, ain't it? Yeah, Stone it's Cold. The best, man. It's the best. Hey, I play, I play, and, and, and this is true. My buddy and I are very close. We just love, watch wrestling. On the way to my games, I have uh, uh, on my phone a mashup of every single uh, famous wrestler's uh, uh, entry music. <laughs> yeah. So they play. play. Triple H and you play Roman Reigns and you, you know, it's just, just, it's, it's stupid, but it's fun. You know what I mean? I I love watching it. So you want, you want to laugh? You want, you want to laugh? Google my name and wrestling Memphis. I was actually in the ring when Memphis wrestling, Jerry, the King Lawler brought Memphis wrestling back and they had all these old wrestlers back and and they asked me if I want to be a part of it. And I, I 
trained my whole life for this moment. Like I, the fake elbows and the fake punches, like, dude, when they put me in the ring, it was originally to be on the side. Then they said, oh, coach, just get in there and throw a punch. And, you know, like, and I got in there and, and then it, it went from that to you're in the whole match. It was a 30 minute match. And I was in and out. it was that my wife still laughs. I mean, like, she looks at me and says, you're an idiot. You're a little kid. And I was like, uh -huh. I was the happiest person. Yeah, so man. talk about, like, past experiences that I remember, basketball. That's another one. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was able to do that. So That's anyway, man, awesome. look, I'm an open book. Um, I, I just – whoever's watching this, whoever's going to watch it, I know you're recording it, just tell them that I want to uh, be an advocate for them, and I want to be somebody that they can ask for advice, lean on. You know, I don't have all the answers, but I can sure help them find it. Um, maybe they can help me, but uh, our job is to help the coaches that want to get to where they want to get to and, and be able to lend a helping hand. Absolutely. And I want to do that. So feel free to call me. You have my number. You can put it on, on, you know, whatever you do on a slide, my email, whatever, man, because okay. I want to be able to reach out to as many as I can and help as many as I can. Cause I don't know how long we'll, we'll be out here doing this. You know what I mean? So Crux, that's freaking awesome, man. I appreciate yeah. it very much. Yeah. But before we go, let me just ask you this question about a documentary. Did you see the stuff on Marbury documentary? Yes, the from Coney Island kid from Coney yeah. Island. What do you think oh, about yeah. that one? Awesome, awesome. Mental health. Yes. Such a big, such a big part of what we're going through now with this COVID stuff, man. Mental health, like this is a big piece. Yes, sir. Big, huge, huge piece of of guys being successful. You know how we treat them, how we understand each guy's different, and look at him, the stardom that he had, everything. Everything. Yeah, everything. His dad passes away. Traumatic experience in his life. How did he? Re how did he react to it? Yep. And he ended up getting back on his feet, man. So I, I, it's that was a cool one. That was that was, that was a good. I one. love to see the end, the, the the part where he picked himself back up on his feet, and yeah. uh, and the rise of Stephon Marbury again. Awesome, man. It was. You know and what then, I mean? What time doing all that? Yeah. What about the uh, Last Dance documentary? What'd you think about that one? Oh, I mean, come on. Like, how can you not love that one? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that was like the greatest player ever. Hey, everybody, the greatest player ever. I don't want to hear any excuses. And the next one closest to him is a guy named Kobe Bryant. So stop. I love LeBron. Love him. He's a great, 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 phenomenal once-in-a-lifetime player. But Michael Jordan is the best ever. And that documentary showed a lot of behind-the-scenes good and stuff that you're like, wow, man, he was kind of rough on those dudes. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it worked for him and the way the team, I mean, that was, that was, I mean, we grew up around that, right? We grew up around watching those dudes dominate. So Absolutely. it was cool. I couldn't agree more coach. Uh, I got Mike and then Kobe and then everybody else after that. Everybody else, I love you. That's what I'm talking about. Right my wife, now. my wife's a huge Kobe fan. And then we even named our dog Kobe. Uh, he's like 15 <laughs> years old, but he's 15 and he's still kicking. So he's got like a little... dunk. There you go. As you play 15 years in the league, baby, that's what yeah. happens. Heck yeah. <laughs> Well, but, Coach, um, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say thank you for having me on, man. I, I appreciate it. I'm always here for you, you know, for you guys. And this, this is not – this is fun for me. I don't care what time it is. Like, I don't, I don't care. I, I, whatever I can do to help. And I, I genuinely mean that. Uh, and it's not just me blowing smoke. You know, whatever I can do to help, please feel free to contact me anytime or have anybody else that you know reach out to. Absolutely, Coach. I appreciate it, man. And uh... – I hope you have a good season this year. You guys stay healthy. I wish you the best. And uh, if there's anything I can do, you let me know as well. I appreciate it. And good to you. Hey, good luck to you guys too. Keep working. You know what I mean? And I'll, I'll pray for you guys. Stay blessed. And, all right, fella. 
Marcus, thank you, man. Say, say hello to your beautiful wife for me. Yes, sir. She's the MVP of the house. Yeah, no doubt about it. She already knows. I'll let her know. <laughs> Later. See you, buddy. Later, coach.